The greatest of these is love, is my sermon title this morning. The greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 says, Three things will last forever, faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love, says, And now these three things will remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. This verse ends Paul's conversation with the church in Corinth. He was addressing them and talking to them about the importance of exhibiting and living like God and Jesus Christ would want us to. And he outlines what true love is. But he finishes the concept, he finishes that thought with saying, but the greatest of these is love. So what was he talking about before? We know it's a familiar passage of scripture that's read at almost every wedding. Uh, it's a passage of scripture that all, it's the go-to scripture for love. It talks about how love is not clanging symbols and just a whole lot of noise, but so many other things. But it also talks about the gifts of the Spirit. It talks about the various things that believers have and that God deposits in and through us. And he talks about the importance of all those things that are, need to function within the life of a church and a believer. And then he talks about the character of love, which really is symbolic of who Jesus Christ is. And then he kind of distills it down to three words, faith, hope, and love. The thing about faith and hope, faith and hope benefit the possessor, the one who has faith, who has hope. The thing about love is it benefits the other. You cannot have faith and hope without love. And so Paul is helping us understand that if you are going to be who God wants you to be, if you're going to live your life like a Christian, if you're going to live your life like Christ would want you to, if you're going to do what everything, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts of the Spirit, and then 1 Corinthians 13 that exemplifies and expands exactly what love is. Love is long-suffering, patient, kind, gentle, meek, all of those things that it talks about. It can't just come from a spirituality that is devoid of the foundation of love. Now, for us in our generation and in the language and communication that we have today, there is really only one word that we use for love. And so we wrap up everything into that one word. And we box all the experiences of love into that one word. We refer to our friendships. We love our friends. That's, we say we love our friends. We love ice cream. We say we love laddus or biryani, whatever you love. We say we love watching a movie. We use that same word love for all these different things. We say we love our parents. We say we love one another. And then we say, oh, and we love God. Now, we, unfortunately, the English language has only one word to express 
what the Greek text expresses in five different words and each one of them boxes each of those expressions of love very distinctively. And so when Paul was talking about the greatest of these is love, he was referring to the agape kind of love. The agape kind of love which is not self-serving, it is always considering others first, it is always concerned about the other person. It is a love that is unconditional, it is a love that is never ending, it is a love which is the love of God. Now we are mere mortal human beings. And it's true, none of us can love one another or each other perfectly. But we definitely can learn by looking at the character of Jesus Christ and understanding the nature of God and saying, God, if I am going to love somebody, not as a friend, not as something that I like and I want to enjoy for myself, not out of the sexual needs that are very God-given to each one of us. Each of those things have their compartments. But God says there is a kind of love which is greater than anything else that we need to have. It's the love, the agape love of God. We must learn to experience that love. And out of the experience and receiving of that love, we must be able to also Share that love. And so when God calls us to love one another, He is calling us to love one another with the first Corinthians kind of love. It keeps no record of wrong. Do you remember what you did three weeks ago? I love you, but you really annoyed me three weeks ago. Well, first Corinthians love says, keep no record of I'm losing my patience with you. The way you behave, it is just unacceptable. I want you to know that I love you in Jesus' name. Well, 1 Corinthians love says, love is patient. Well, lovers are blind. <laughs> but love is never blind. <laughs> it sounds almost spiritual, but it's not true. Love forgives. And we are challenged to forgive people that we care for or people that have hurt us. But yet we say we want to experience God's love and we want to give God's love to one another. And so there is this dichotomy and there is always this tension within our lives and we need to learn to bring that balance into our lives so as we bring stability in our relationships with one another. There are three words that I want us to think about when we are looking at the love of God. Number one, it is consistent. Everybody say consistent. It does not depend on emotion. It does not depend on behavior. It is not dependent on outcome. It is not dependent on what you do or not. 
God's love for you is consistent. Means it is never changing. As it was in the beginning, so it will be at the end. And with eternity, there is no end. God's love for you is consistent. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the not for God so loved believers, those that went to church, those that said they loved Jesus. God so loved the world. The world that spiritual believers so hate. He loved that world. He didn't go to the cross for a perfect Ian. He went to the cross for an imperfect Ian. So that I might become perfect because of his love for me. Amen. My righteousness before God does not come from my righteous acts. It comes from what God has done for me when I was in a mess called sin. And now I can stand confidently before God and know that he loves me. He loved me when I did not know him and he loved me now when I do know him. And he loves me when I do slip up and I fail. And he loves me and he's patient and waiting for me to come back to him if I do move away. God's love is consistent. So when we love one another, the benchmark for our love is to bring a consistency of loving one another. And if you were truly honest, that's hard to do. Right? Why? Because our emotions determine whether we dispense love or not. Right? If I'm feeling good about you, it is a lot easier for me to say, I love you. With the love of the Lord. Yes, I love you with the love of the Lord. You know that song? <laughs> While we might try and sing that song, but living the words is a lot greater. And our call in our lives is to live our lives consistently bringing in the discipline of loving one another. Love is a choice. Love is a habit. Love is a discipline. Amen. The more you practice it, the more it becomes a part of you. And the more it becomes a part of you, the easier it is for you to love somebody else. Amen. I laid the foundation last week about loving yourself. On that foundation now, we must love one another. The second word is love is committed. Everybody say committed. It doesn't waver. It doesn't move to the left and the right. It is committed 
once love engages, it stays engaged. <coughs> Have you ever taken a plane ride and halfway through the plane ride suddenly discovered, you know what? I don't want to go to London. I'd like to get off this plane. Pilot, can you drop me off somewhere? Somewhere over Iraq, you suddenly get revelation. I'm not supposed to be going to London from Mumbai. I want to go somewhere else. No, you are committed. You bought the ticket. You paid the price. You're sitting in the seat. You've received the service. You're watching the television. The pilot is taking you to London and you can't get off that plane because if you do, it's going to cost you your life. We don't see our engagement with one another in loving one another with that commitment. Because we feel we can switch it on and we can switch it off. But God's love to you is He is committed to loving you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. And when we come into relationships with one another, in our family, in our friendships, in the community of faith, we need to learn to love with a level of commitment that is way beyond the commitment of this world. Because we are called to love with a much greater love. The greatest of these is God's agape love. Not the filial love, not the sexual love, not the friendly love, not the brotherly love, but agape love. The purest form of love that we can express to one another. Amen. Under which, under the banner of which all these other loves are able to express themselves in the right way. When any of the other four loves are independent of God's love, agape love, these four loves become contaminated. Eros, the sexual love, becomes contaminated. Filio, the friendship love, becomes self-serving. And you scratch my back, I scratch your back. It impacts the outworking of every other love because self becomes the center of that love and not God where we become selfless. Amen. And so learning to be committed in our relationships. Naomi and I have been pastoring for I don't know how many years lost track of that from leading small groups to leading churches to being part of a mega church to being part of networks of churches. Thank God for the experience and expressions that we've seen of, of church in different shapes and form. And we have learned the importance of being committed. Wherever God placed us is where we stayed until he asked us to move. Commitment to the body of Christ. Commitment to one another. Commitment to your family. Commitment to your children. Commitment to your friendships. Stay committed. Because when you do, you are simply doing and living your life the way Jesus wants you to. Amen. 
So our lives have got to be consistent. Our lives have got to be committed. Love is committed. And love is caring. Caring is a very broad word. But caring is a doing word. It is about expressing something that I believe in action. It's like a mother saying, children, I want you to know that I love you. I love you so dearly. And I want you to know all the food you need is out there in the bazaar. And I want you to know, little children, I want you to know that everything that you need is out there in Lokanwala High Street. Go shop yourself, pick whatever you want, come home and cook your food. Do whatever you want. Help yourself to whatever utensils you want. But I want you to know that I love you. I care for you. I am your mother. And then she sits back, puts her feet up, switches on Netflix, and the rest of the family slowly dies of starvation. <laughs> now it is not only the mother's role to cook. The father could do the same as well. Just, just, just bring that in there. <laughs> so love is about doing, caring. There must be that expression of care, of doing things for one another. And Jesus tells the story most beautifully when he gives us the story of the Samaritan. And he finds this poor guy beaten on the road and the great priest comes along and he walks past and says, Oh my gosh, I've got to go to my priestly meeting. Let somebody else look after this poor guy who's been robbed and abandoned on a highway. And then the Levite comes and says, Oh my gosh, I'm running late for worship practice. My worship leader is going to not let me sing next week. I need to be there at the practice. I'm sorry, brother. Pray for you. May the love of the Lord be upon you. Jesus is your healer. He is your everything else. Sings that song and walks on. I believe Jesus is your healer. I believe and he walks on. But then comes a Samaritan who really has no relationship with God. He really doesn't know, have really a strong belief of who God is. Perhaps has never read the Old Testament scriptures, the writings of the prophets, Jesus says. Well, he didn't quite say that, but that's the picture he picked up. And he comes and he sees this person, this destitute, and he, he has compassion for him. And out of that compassion, he begins to do something that the spiritual, confessing, godly people could not do. He begins to care for him. And he, he heals and helps to heal his wounds. And then he pays a price to put him in a hospital. So he is cared for. And then he goes on his way. And Jesus was using that analogy to teach us what it means to really express God's love to one another. It is not just about declaring and confessing that we love one another. But it is about showing in our communities of, of relationships by doing good for one another. Whether they give it back to us or not. Whether you invite me back for a meal or not. If I want to have you around, I invite you around. Not you invite me, I invite you. And then, oh, okay, so that's quits, right? Yeah, okay, great. No, it's about building relationship. 
It's no. Today you buy me coffee. Tomorrow I buy you coffee. And okay, so we bought it as a coffee. Okay, yeah, okay, great. Nice knowing you. We move on. No, it's whether you buy me another coffee or not. I'm gonna still want to spend time with you. And yes, if you are expressing the same kind of love, you're still gonna pick up. Hmm, he's paid for a heck of a lot of coffees. About time I paid for one too. Because you're not gonna be selfish. You're gonna be caring. And you're gonna be prepared to pay the price. And so love expresses itself in ways that are caring. Look for ways in the home to be caring to one another. There was one time and only one time, and our children never failed to remind us, of the one time and only one time, we had a busy schedule at church, we would be away almost every weekend in addition to working a, a full five day week, ministering on weekends at encounters that we had. And our kids went with us and came with us wherever we went, wherever in the world we were. And they would patiently sit through all these long weekends of ministry, wherever they were, little corners, tucked away with their friends or whatever. And that night we were driving by and we had Emma who was here with us last week, all three of them in the car. We threw them in the car. It was late night driving back to get back to London for our Sunday morning service. And we got home and there was no food prepared. And we kind of just went to bed. And then the baby said, Mommy, Daddy, we're hungry. I'm going to eat dinner. I'm going to eat dinner. It's like, you know what? Have some jam sandwiches. And never to this day have they reminded us of how we failed to provide for them for food. All right? It's funny how they've never, ever forgotten that. But every time we say, don't we take care of you? Don't we provide food for you? But mom and dad, do you remember then? You only gave us jam sandwiches and we were so hungry. So, you know, even though that was a caring act, it was what I demonstrated earlier, and go find your own food. That is not at all caring. You know, yes, they need to learn responsibility, but when they are four or five and when you are a parent so fatigued, just go find what you can in the fridge and eat it, except the raw meat, unless it's sushi. Anyway, but moving on swiftly. But we must express our love with action. Love is a verb. It's a doing thing. And I want to encourage us in our relationships within our homes. As brothers and sisters, it's so easy to take each other for granted. So easy. So easy. And you know, if you are going to be living with a spouse five, six years from now, guess where your training ground is? At home. It's in loving your parents, in working within the structures of the home. It's within doing things for your brother, for your siblings. It's in how you treat those relationships out of the home. All those things will be compounded into this little box called marriage. And then you suddenly think, whoa, is this really who I am? Because for those of us that are married... You know, marriage brings out the, the best in you. I was leaving you to say that. <laughs> the best in you, but also the worst of you. But that's okay. It just is simply a reflector of what's happening on the heart. And we can work that through. That's what makes good marriages great. Is that you work through those challenges because you are 
committed to each other because you want to move forward and you do that and express that commitment and consistency by caring for God so loved the world that he gave he didn't just say i love the world but he cared enough that he gave of himself so this week as you live your life in the home as you live your life in your little communities in your building as we all do great opportunities for us to express god's love let me tell you a little story now close we had one dog we had two dogs we had one dog and now we have two dogs the second dog was not quite by choice but more like by divine appointment we had always seen this little white dog in the building but it was a little unfriendly dog and we knew the story behind this dog that the father of the dog died and the mother of the dog died and so this dog was basically alone in its home because both the kids were in different parts of the world and one day i think it was near me you who was a grace was in the lift and we saw this dog coming back in a terrible state by somebody who we didn't know who it was and uh, the lift is a place of connection in our building because you have 34 seconds 50 seconds to chat with somebody and we discovered this little dog that we'd always known as sasha was in a terrible state and so this dog was really bad and the girls had always kind of liked that dog and they came and said oh did you met sasha and met sasha yeah we don't know who was looking after sasha we met sasha but she's in this state and we went to find out what happened to sasha and we discovered sasha was alone in this big three bedroom home just being given food and that was it and uh, now here's the back story sasha and brisbane never got on if they saw each other they couldn't get into the lift together it was war for whatever reason so we couldn't even consider taking sasha into our home although we thought about it and we tried caring for sasha in her home on the about five floors up or five floors down where we take her food make sure she was okay and she was used to being alone while the other family members in other parts of the world but that soon became pretty sad because we couldn't you know have poor sasha is living on her own and sick sick and whatever else and so we eventually said we're going to bring her down with obviously permission of the, the original owners of sasha but we had to first reconcile them to live together and uh, we called in the expert doggy whisper his name's ian hendricks and in less than 5 minutes they became the best of friends and sasha eventually walked over literally walked over the threshold of her home before that she refused to even come over the threshold of our front door all this happened at the front door anyway sasha is now living with us we have not really connected with the owners of sasha but because we cared for that dog and we cared for all that dog meant to the family because it meant so much in the circumstances and what came out of that is a relationship with two people in different parts of the world and i'm saying this just to give you an example We didn't need another dog. We didn't want another dog. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work my wife says to have another dog. But in doing that what we didn't realize is that single act of kindness opened up a relationship with people in two different parts of the world who were so grateful and couldn't believe that total strangers would consider 
taking on the responsibility of a little dog in their home because we understood what it meant to them because it was their father's dog and they haven't quite reconciled the passing away of their father. None of their family were prepared to take the dog although they were committed to them verbally that we will do whatever you want after the father's death but we can't have the dog. And they expressed back and continue to do that how grateful they are that we did what we did. The point I'm making is there are opportunities every day in our lives to express love. Sometimes to a family member, sometimes to a work colleague, sometimes to a neighbor. We must identify them and do what you can because when you do, you know who gets praised? God. These people are appreciative and cannot understand why we did what we did. But we know why we did what we did. Agape love. Amen. And so for each one of us, I want you to look for those opportunities in your everyday life that God will bring. And when you see them, do what you can. Whatever it is. Do what you can, because when you do, you don't know what it will mean to the person that you have done something for, for them. Amen? And in doing that, you are expressing agape love. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word that is so powerful. Lord, that you call us to learn to be consistent, to be committed, and to be caring in all of our relationships here on this earth. Help us, Lord, to just live life simply and uncomplicated every day of our lives, loving one another just like you loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.